What has the Spirit and the Word instructed me to do in the past month? What is, what of those things, what have they instructed me to do in the past month? And then just kind of a follow-up question to that is, did I listen to those instructions? This may be something simple. It may be something that was a big change in your life. As I said, I don't want to rush this tonight. This is what we're talking about when we talk about being a disciple. Am I still discipleable? Am I still a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's not just a a process or a course that you went through for six weeks and you said, okay, I made it through the discipleship class and now I'm done learning. I've learned everything there was to learn. I've, I've, I've made it. I've arrived. I'm at the place where uh, Jesus doesn't have to teach me anything anymore. We are always disciples. We are all, we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we continually allow the spirit and the word to instruct us, to change us, to, to speak to us. And as it speaks, the question then is, do I listen as it speaks to me? Am I listening to the voice? Am I listening to the word of God when it convicts me? What has the Spirit and the Word instructed me to do in the past month? That could be the past week, the past day. Really, it should be instructing us much more often than just the past month. But I kind of gave us a, a broad range there. Maybe you could just pull from something that the Spirit and the Word has instructed you to do. Next question. How am I practicing What I say, I believe. If you say that you believe something, then uh, that belief really ought to bear itself out in practice. So how am I currently practicing what I say I believe? And then our last question, and then we're going to go to get into our three distinctive marks of a disciple. Our last question is, why am I a disciple? Why am I a disciple? And you can, you can answer that in, in your own way, but maybe it would just be uh, out of this or that, is it out of obligation or is it out of love? Are you a disciple of Jesus because he has called me to be, be a disciple and if he has commanded that, then out of obligation, I will be a disciple or is it because, God, I love you 
And I see the things that you've done for me and that, and that being a disciple of you is the best thing that I could ever do in my life. And so out of love, God, I want to learn everything that you have for me. Is, is our discipleship or is our, our being a disciple, is it an act of love or is it an act of obligation? You know, I, I considered having these questions at the end of our study tonight, but I, uh, I, I, I didn't want us to, to um, not have the time to, to really think through these and, and apply them to our own life and realize that Jesus is calling us to be disciples still today. And there are distinctive marks of a disciple. We have three distinctive marks of a disciple that I want to cover. But, but the, 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 uh, the important thing is tonight is that all of us here tonight, Jesus is still calling us to be disciples. And we all ought to wear that badge proudly. I am a disciple. God, what you, what you have for me, God, I still am open to learn. I'm still open to be changed. God, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't arrived. You know, there's another question that, that I could have asked is, you know, if, if the spirit isn't telling you to change anything, why is that? If, 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 you know, you, you think back and you're like, you know, I, I don't know anything that the Word and the Spirit has, um, you know, has instructed me to do. It's, it hasn't really asked me to change anything in the past month. Why? Is that, is that because you have arrived and you've made it and there's nothing else that needs changed? Or is it because you're undisciplable? And you're not at that place where the Spirit can come and it can, it can begin to speak to you. And you're willing to let Jesus change the things that you care about. And your behaviors be changed by Him. And because a disciple is somebody who, who they're open, they would allow God to come in and change them. Amen. Well, let's, let's get into the, uh, the heart, the meat of this, this study tonight. Three distinctive marks of a disciple. The first mark, the first distinctive mark of a disciple is that a disciple is one who will learn and obey the word. They will learn and obey the word of God. We can go to John. John chapter 8. Jesus speaking here to the, uh, to the Pharisees or to some Jews. Uh, who were there and had gathered. They, the Jews, they were receiving some of the, the words that Jesus had said to them. And he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Now, here's, here's kind of what's interesting uh, when, when Jesus is speaking this here is, uh, I think when we read this, what, what do we think of? What, is, what does our mind go to? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
Our mind goes to this, right? If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. Jesus, when he said that, is if you abide in my word, my instructions to you, if you abide in the things that I am telling you right now, the truth that I'm laying out for you, if you abide in my word, in these instructions, these things that I'm saying to you right now, if you abide in that, if you stay in that, if you remain in that, if you do not depart from that, from this word, then you are my disciples. Now, is that wholly and completely different from this? No, it's not. It's not completely separate from this because his word is this word. He is this word. And so I don't want to completely separate it from that. But what Jesus was actually talking about here was not the Old Testament, which would have been the only word that they would have had. He wasn't, st- he wasn't speaking of that. He was speaking of the, the rhema word, the, the right now word that I'm speaking to you, this, this present, the, the, the leading today, we, we might say, the spirit, as the spirit speaks to you, if you abide in that, if you do not depart from the leading of the spirit in your, in, in your life, then you're my disciples. If you don't depart from when I, when I speak to you about your situations that you're going through, then you are my disciples. Now, they started getting pretty upset with him when he went on to, to, to explain this a little bit more. I don't, I'm not going to take the time to, to go through the rest of that chapter, but they, uh, they end up getting very upset with Jesus when he explains uh, a little more about the word uh, that they needed to abide in and, and how that would define them as his disciples. We can go, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Desire that sincere, that pure milk of the word. Desire it. Pursue it with love long after that word. Let the word of God be something that you long after, that you desire it, that you you say, I can't live without it. I must pursue it. I must pursue the word of God. I must let this be my instructor. I must let the word of God Be one of my primary teachers in my life. In fact, there shouldn't be anything really that goes above this. We might have some other teachers and instructors in our life, but there's nothing that takes precedent over this. Nothing takes precedent over the Word of God. There is no teacher that is greater. There is no scientist that is a greater instructor than the Word of God. Come on. Human knowledge, we, we may have gone through a period of enlightenment and, and you would say, oh, men have, have, uh, have realized or been enlightened to, to things that are contrary to the word of God. If that's the, if, if that is the case, then whatever human knowledge says is completely false because this right here is the only instructor that we have. There is nothing that rises above this. No theory of man. No 
There is nothing. No ethics of man supersede the ethics of God. Political correctness. Uh, not you know, not that we have to be to be brash and, and things. It's you know, so it's all right to be correct in, in certain ways. But uh, but if it means that it has to go contrary to the word of God, I'm sorry. I stick to the word of God. This is what we stand on. This right here is the solid ground that is underneath the shifting sand. This is the stone, the rock that we stand on, that it's not going to move. He said, come on, everything else may pass away, but my word will never pass away. My word will stand true forever. And so a true disciple will hold tight to, will cling to the word of God in the midst of all of the other, all the information in this world that is passed come on, that is Pat goes in front of our eyes, that passes through, uh, uh, you know, our our brains and our our TV screens and phone screens and everything else every day, there is really only one thing that is going to last forever, and that is the Word of God. All this other stuff that can capture our attention, that can go, that, that will go away, but there's one thing that will stand. And then in James, as he often does, he gets... Straight to the point. In James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. should have added the next verse, because it says, He observes his natural face in a mirror, and then he goes away, doesn't do anything about it. He sees how ugly he is and he doesn't do anything about it. There's some things that you can do about your, your appearance. And if you don't do anything about it, then you are just a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Amen. A desire to learn and obey the word of God is the first distinctive this first distinctive mark of a disciple. Amen. Distinctive mark number two is a godly love that is exhibited. A godly love that's exhibited. John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus is speaking here. He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. The kind of love that he's talking about here is the, an agape love. If you have affection, if you have godly affection one for another, if you have goodwill, if it's charity, this is a, a love feast uh, that you would have for one another. If you, uh, this is how uh, Jesus says that they will know that you are my disciples because of the love that you would show toward one another. 1 John 4 7 and 8. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then this next verse puts it rather plainly. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. 
Godly love is exhibited in a disciple of Jesus Christ. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, what does love drive us to do? What does, what does love cause us to do? Love for your brother. Let's, let's say it's your brother or sister in Christ. A love will, will cause you to be there for them in their time of need. It will, it will uh, bring you to a place of joy in their joy and sadness in their sadness and their grief. You have empathy for them. You, you care for their needs. Now here's, here's the thing. What about, what about somebody who is, who is just trying and, uh, and, and they've, um, you know, are making an effort to come and to join into the body of Christ? What about them? What is the mark of a disciple in us? Do we love them enough to be there for them in their time of need? Do we love them enough to help them to, to break free from the, the bondage of sin that they have been held, held to for so long? Do we love them enough to come alongside them and, and help them to, to, to make those steps that they're trying to, to take? Love drives us to, to be a disciple maker, to be somebody who, who would go and say, Hey, I see the steps that you're taking here. Let me put an arm around you and I'm going to be there for you when you fall. I'm not going to cast you aside and say, Oh, there goes another one by the wayside. And they tried, but they're not going to make it. No, love causes us to reach down and to pick up. It's like that. That child that you, that you love and, 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 but it's, it's, you know, just young and it's, uh, my mind's not quite there yet, but they, you know, eventually start to walk and as they walk, they fall, but you don't just leave them there. You pick them up. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. He who does not know God or he who, who, who does not love does not know God for God is love. Anyway, Matthew chapter five, verse 44, Jesus gives us a very difficult command here that is, um, it was very contrary to their culture of that day, and it's still contrary to our culture today. When he says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This kind of love that Jesus presents is a different kind of love. This isn't the world's kind of love. Jesus, he says, he says, oh, if you, uh, if you just go and you love those who, who love you, what is that? The world does that. How, how does that make you any different from anybody else in the world if you just love those who love you? He says, but if you want to be like the Father... If you want to be like God, if you want to be a disciple, then you love those who hate you. You love your enemies. You love those who spitefully use you. That's, that's a pretty different kind of love. That is, that is something that I, we, we have to go back often and say, all right, Jesus, keep teaching me on this. Go on, keep teaching me this lesson because I, I, I thought I had it. But maybe I don't because there's still something in me that, that, 
is, it doesn't want to love those who spitefully use me. There's something in me, God, that is still, still needs to be teachable and still is, you know, still is there in me that, uh, that it comes out and I don't want to love them and, and, and care for them and, and be there for them. But if your word says it, God, then, then, then I will do it. Not out of obligation, but because I believe that your word is true and it is the greatest thing that could ever happen to me is to, to live by your word. Amen. John chapter 21. John 21, verses 15 through 17. Just um, to set this scenario up just real quick is Jesus finding Peter after, after the, the crucifixion, resurrection, and, and uh, we know the, the story of Peter, how he denied Jesus Christ three times on the, the night that he was crucified. And, and he was living in shame, living in, in a place where he, he feels like he had let down his master, how he had, he had let down Jesus, the one who gave his, who had just given his life for him. And, and he was, he was uh, aware of the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. He knew that it wasn't all over. But he, when he looked at himself, he says, I'm a failure. I'm just going to go back to my old life. I'm going to be a fisherman again. And that's where Jesus finds him, is out, uh, out on the boat. He's fishing. And Jesus comes to him and uh, says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And Peter looks back at him and he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. He continues and he says again, a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my sheep. Third time, Simon, son of Jonah. Do you love me? Peter, feeling like, okay, I've told you twice, Jesus, and here you are asking me a third time. He's grieved because he said to, he had to say this the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that all the, you know all these things. In other words, you, you already know the answer to this. You know the, the inside of my heart. Maybe he, Peter's even questioning here, okay, you, you're reading me right now, you know what's going on inside, you know all these things inside of me right now, and so I, I'm pretty sure I'm answering you right, but you know that I love you, you know that, you can see these things, you know my answer, and, and whether it's pure or true or not, and Jesus said, feed my sheep, in other words, I hear you. But now, go and do it. Go and do what I'm asking you to do. Don't turn back and live this old way. Don't turn back and, and, and just, just go and, and do the things that you used to do and what, what was comfortable. But now go and live it out. I know that you can say it, that you say that you love me. But go and feed my sheep. Go tend to my sheep. Go, go care for the flock. Now, Jesus isn't speaking of actual sheep here. He's talking about the church that he's trying to launch. He's getting ready to launch. He's, he's 
pushing Peter out and saying, go, you are going, you're ready, you love me, I know you do, so stop worrying about your past failures and just know that you do love me, but you're going to show it by your actions. How true is that still for us today, that Jesus is calling us and and sometimes we call out, you know, Yes, Jesus, I love you. And we're here and we sing songs and we raise our hands. And Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Come on, we can say it over and over. But sometimes I wonder if Jesus is looking back down and he's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Then go. Do what I've called you to do. Go and live it out. Go and, and, and come on, let's, let's be the, the, the person that I've called you to be. Go. Do you love me more than all the things in the world? Do you love me more than these? What is these? These. I don't, I don't know exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't say uh, exactly who, what Jesus was referring to when he said these, but he was sitting around the very fish that Peter had just caught. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the things that, uh, you know, that your old life, your old occupation. You love me more than these. Amen. Distinctive mark number two is that a disciple of Jesus Christ is one that would exhibit godly love. Number three. Distinctive mark number three of a disciple is that you are bearing fruit. You're bearing fruit. John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus speaking here, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so we, coming out of Jesus Christ, we as the branches that are coming from the true vine, He says that if that branch does not bear fruit, it will eventually be cut off. He's going to take it away. He's going to burn it. He's going to to let it uh, just drop. It's not going to be joined back, but it it is cut off. It is taken away. Every branch that bears fruit... He prunes. There's some little things. He de- so pruning, it doesn't mean that he's, he's going to cut the whole branch off. But there's little things here and there and, you know, little things that still need uh, to be taken away. And pruning, I'm sure, doesn't feel good, right? It doesn't always feel good when, when God prunes us. When there's things and, he's, and he's, he's, he's speaking to us. And this is what being a disciple is all about, is the pruning process. There's a... I, I almost tonight just went through a whole uh, process of discipleship and I had some notes written down on that, the process of discipleship. And one part of that process, uh, I guess the beginning of the process, isn't so much pruning. There's a lot of growth and things that happen. But eventually you just get to a place where there's pruning that takes place. You have a mature tree, but just because a, a tree is matured doesn't mean that there aren't certain little things that still need to be cut off. Right? I, uh, I was just, just uh, being, or just talking to somebody and uh, they were telling me about their, oh, how old was he? I think they said he was uh, 80, 87 or 80 something years old. 
their, their grandfather who at that age was still climbing up into trees and pruning the tops of the trees, pruning in, the, in, in his big trees that he had. And he was enjoying life. He just loved, loved life, loved taking care of, of his, his property and, and everything that he had. And, and I don't know that I would suggest that for somebody of that age, climbing up into their trees and pruning them, but he understood something. He understood that just because something is mature doesn't mean that it doesn't still need some things cut away in order to grow and to be uh, the fullness of what it should be, right? And God will do that to us as his disciples. He begins to prune us. And, and when he prunes us, if we allow him to prune us, then there's more fruit that begins to grow and more fruit, more fruit and more fruit. And what does the fruit look like? We see the fruit of the Spirit, but there ought to be more than just the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There ought to be fruit that comes out, spiritual gifts, you know, will will come to fruition in our life. We see the the gifts of the Spirit that, that can come and and we can be, be used in those ways. And, and there's, there's more than that. There's fruit that ought to come that is, that is more disciples. We become, Jesus has called us, you go and make disciples. That's fruit. And as we allow him to prune some things in our life, there's more and more fruit that comes out of our life. And they, people see the, the changes and they see the things and, uh, that, you know, that are happening in us. And as they continue to see changes in us, they say, well, why'd you do that? Why, why, why this and why that? And they start to question. You find somebody who they're curious. You find somebody who, who they uh, start asking questions. And at that moment, because God has been pruning us, we can tell them about the pruning process, or we can tell them about what it means to be a disciple, because I'm still a disciple. And you know what? God's calling you to be a disciple. And the things that he might be speaking to you about may not be the things that he's speaking to me about, but he's still pruning me. And he's got to, he, he, he look, sounds like maybe he's starting something in you. Sounds like maybe as uh, as you're asking me these questions, that, that there might be something that God is starting in you and He wants to, to start this process in your life where you can grow and you can learn and you can, you can let God change the things that you care about. Well, this is why it's so important for us to still be a disciple today because as we are disciples, we're called to make disciples and we still let things change in our life just as those who are still just coming to Christ have some big things that need to be changed in their life. Right? Amen. We're not perfect. Nobody here is perfect. And if we, if we just try to display perfection to people, how, how can anybody relate to that? How can anybody relate to that? They, they understand, hey, I see God changing things. I see God speaking to you. I see God changing things in you. And they become curious or they become, uh, you know, somebody who, who would want and desire for God to begin to change things in their life as well. Anyway, let's, uh, we can, we, if, if you just continue down in that parable, we could have read that whole thing, but I just want to skip down to verse 8. Jesus, he wraps that parable up in verse 8. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and you will be my disciples. That you would bear much fruit, 
And as long as you're bearing a lot of fruit, you're my disciples. A distinctive mark of a disciple is that they are bearing fruit. Mark 4, 13 through 20. Mark 4, 13 through 20. As a, um, another parable that uh, Jesus has already told. Now he's, he's here and he's sitting down with his disciples and he's explaining the meaning of this parable to the disciples. And uh, you're probably familiar with the parable. This is the, the sower who is out throwing the seed on, onto the field. Some of it falls in good land and hard land, and different kinds of soil. And, and here, let's just read it here, this explanation that Jesus gives. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all these parables? In other words, if I got to explain this one to you, there's a whole lot deeper parables than this one. You should have understood this one. Uh, this is a pretty easy one. But he goes on anyways, and he starts to explain. He says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately, and he takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These, likewise, are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a life or only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones that are sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But then there are the ones who are sown on the good ground. Okay, these are the ones that are the disciples. These are the ones that they are ready to allow the things, the Word of God, the Spirit of God to begin to change things in their life because it says they hear the Word, they accept it, they bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. The disciples are the ones that it gets down deep and, and things begin to change when the Word of God gets into them. It starts to grow and they accept it, they bear fruit, and, and we see different... Um, he, he says there may be some that are 60, some 30, some 100 fold, but there is always fruit in the life of a disciple. Amen. I wanna, we have just two more passages here, and, uh, and then we will close this Bible study out tonight. In Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, Jesus came up to a fig tree one day, and uh, he began speaking a parable. He said, a certain man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard, and he came. He was seeking fruit on it. He didn't find any. He said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come, and I wanted some fruit from this fig tree, and I can't find any. So cut the fig tree down, cut it down to the ground. But he answered, and he said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it, and I fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Okay? There is sometimes in, in our lives, right? Maybe, maybe you're in this place right now where you look and you say, where's the fruit? Do I have any fruit that is growing in my life right now? 
Do I have this distinctive mark of a disciple? When I look at my life, do I have fruit that is growing there? If not, if not, he says, we're going to just cut the, cut the tree down. But not yet. Not yet. You know, this, is, this is the same thing. It matches right up with what he had said about the vine. If there's no fruit on the vine, we're going to cut it off. But here he says, let it alone. Let's fertilize it. So if this is you right now, let's, let's look and let's assess our lives. Where do I have fruit that, is, is, is bear, that, that I'm bearing? Do I have fruit in my life? If I don't, then I need to get into some fertilizer. I need to get some fertilizer in my life and begin to let the word. What's the fertilizer? This. The word of God. Let it begin to, to come and just till up some good soil. Let the word, let the spirit of God begin to, to till up some things in our life and fertilize us. Come on. The spirit of God is life and truth. And there's, well, there is just, uh, the, the water, the, the spirit, the water, it will, it will come and it will soak you into a place where things can grow again. Let, let some fertilizer sink in and come on, let's, let's let some fruit begin to grow. Just because you don't have fruit right now doesn't mean that it, it's, it's the end of the growing for that tree. Amen. You still have growth. You still have fruit to bear. Praise God. Let's, let's, not let, uh, let's not let this be cut down, but I want the fruit to come to my life. I want some fruit. I want that distinctive mark in me. Matthew chapter 12, 33. We're going to end with this verse tonight. Matthew 12, verse 33 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. The truth is, you're going to have fruit. I know I've been saying you either have fruit or you don't have fruit. The truth is, you you are going to have fruit. It's just the fruit that Jesus is looking for is the good fruit. That's the only kind of fruit that he's, he's, he's interested in is the good fruit. You don't want to go to your apple tree and see a bunch of worms in those apples even while it's up in the, in the tree. You don't want, you don't, anybody ever bit into a crab apple or some kind of a, a sour uh, fruit, something that doesn't taste any good? Spit it out. Ah, I don't want that. Oh, you just want... A tree that says a tree is known by its fruit. A good tree will grow good fruit. How does, it, how does a tree grow good fruit? It's pruned. You don't go to a good apple orchard and not have somebody that's pruning those trees. They prune the trees. They get them ready to be able to have good fruit. Good fruit that can grow. Amen. Praise God. That's we're gonna we're gonna end there tonight. Uh, I, I still want us to kind of go back. If you didn't, if you didn't fill out, or if you uh, were just kind of pausing, or maybe didn't have something to write down uh, in those questions that we had at the beginning, I want us all to just assess where am I at? Where am I at? Am I still a disciple of Jesus Christ today? Am I still in a place right now where Jesus is instructing me and changing me, and I'm in a place where? Uh, where today I, I can identify as a disciple just as I could have whenever you came to Christ. This isn't a course that we made it through when we checked all the boxes and we said, all right, I made it through the discipleship part of this. Learned everything I need to learn. 
changed everything I need to change. No, he's called us. I am a disciple. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. Let's, uh, let's before we dismiss, let's just raise our hands. I just want to, uh, if you can close your eyes, I just want to pray right now in dismissal. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit, God, would come in. It would change us. It would continue to speak to us and move us. God, let us be pliable and changeable and moldable. God, I, I don't want anybody in this place, God. Let none of us, God, be... Uh, just thinking that, that we've already made it, we've arrived, God, that there is nothing else that needs changed. But, Lord, as we are changed, God, then we see others, God, that they could be changed as well. Lord, help us not to have a false sense of ourselves, God, or to put on a front like we have it all together, God. But, Lord, let us be changed by you, God. Let us have a desire for your word. Let us have a desire for your spirit. Uh, let us be moved by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We will see you. Hopefully you can make it here Saturday, 10 o'clock, Saturday, 10 o'clock. And um, otherwise, we will see you Sunday for Bible study at 10. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.